So Cole Munson here from Ownet, Ownet's community builder, and we have a feature uh, called Communities for a World that Works. We're all about a world that works, and specifically from my angle, I'm really interested in Communities for a World that Works, and the people around the world who are organising themselves in community and doing interesting things. And I've got John Rosania is, is on the other end of the line in Los Angeles, no less. Uh, I'm in Portugal. And John is from the Radical Honesty community. And I wanted to talk to John uh, today about that. And very, he's very kindly offered to, to talk to us as uh, the person put forward to represent your community. Are you comfortable with that, John? Yeah, I'm totally comfortable with that. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So, so, I mean, for me, I've been aware of uh, Brad Blanton's book, Radical Honesty, for, um, oh, it must be 10 years or or more now. And I'm a massive fan of the work. I know a few people who are involved and um, try and bring it up in conversation whenever I can, because I think it's a really useful tool for humanity. What's your connection with it? What's what's your official role within Radical Honesty as, as a thing? And how long have you been doing that, and how did you get into it? Yeah, so currently I'm the CEO of Radical Honesty Enterprises. And so essentially we're the ones who organize kind of the the main administrative body. And also we just kind of, we take care of the website, and we take care of kind of organizing trainers trainings, and basically being a hub for both the community, so both people who are interested just in this kind of relating, and then also at the same time for people who want to become trainers. So we help train trainers and we help get them out there to be able to spread this kind of work. Right. Perfect. So that's my role. And then also I have a, a little company called Honesty Lab. And Honesty Lab is my own practice where I lead radical honesty workshops and I do one-on-one coaching and counseling with people and just try to get the word out there that there's something about sharing more than you normally do that builds intimacy, growth, and is a way for communities to keep from sort of cracking up and crumbling. Amazing. Okay, so therein perhaps lies your definition of radical honesty. Did you want to add anything more to that? Because that's the is it is about saying a little bit more than you might ordinarily say, disclosing a little bit more information. Is that it, or is there more to it f- for you in, in radical honesty? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's a lot, lot more to it. I think the kind of the usual understanding when you hear, I mean, it's something about these words, radical honesty. You know, the great story is that when Brad first wrote his book, the book was just called um, Telling the Truth or To Tell the Truth, something sort of innocuous like that. And then it didn't sell at all. And so that it was his daughter who gave him this title, Radical Honesty. And he put that on the book, same book, and then it really spread because there's something about putting these two words together where you're kind of like, wait, what is this? Is there something a little bit different than I normally do? Because we all, I think, have a sense that we know how to tell the truth. And depending on our level of awareness, you know, people have broader awareness can tell the truth in ways that other people can't. So telling the truth is not such a simple kind of term. But I think generally when people hear something like radical honesty, they mostly think of what we call of drive-by honesty. Drive-by <laughs> honesty is like any, any thought that you have, you just, you just say it. And basically, it means that you're just going to be an asshole to everyone. Mm. And the whole world will kind of blow up because people are just sharing that kind of way. Yeah. Now, I think that speaks mostly to the fact that people are withholding a lot. And so when they are given this possibility that, okay, what if we release the taboo on our pretending and withholding? The first thing that's going to come out is automatically going to be, 
how much we hate everyone and how pissed off we are and blah, 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 like that. Now, in fact, that's actually what tends to happen. <laughs> so when we have groups together, there tends to be a kind of period where there is a lot of stuff built up and there needs to be a, um, a kind of release there. But then it's like, okay, how do you stick with each other and how do you get through that kind of thing? And I think that's one of the big things I like. I mean, you guys are trying to build community. And I think one of the things that we see and why we think radical honesty might be helpful for communities is that communities tend to implode mostly because they're not very good at dealing with conflict. Oh, yeah. And conflict mostly arises because people have expectations and are angry at each other. And so it seems sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it's understood that radical honesty, there's a lot of anger and there often is a lot of anger. But on the other side of anger is forgiveness and love and intimacy and a kind of um, a kind of joy and a, a, like a sense of affirmation that you wouldn't have gotten if you were always clamping down on those things. Absolutely. So just to give you the kind of just to give you the big picture definition of radical honesty, which is a little bit obscure, but radical honesty is simply reporting what you notice out loud to the person in front of you. And most of the time when we think about honesty, our culture mostly just thinks of opinions. Hmm. We just want to share our opinions. You like this president. I don't like this president. We go back and forth in a kind of argument about opinions. That's fine to share opinions. But in our world, there's so much more. And if you're talking about intimacy and connection, opinions are only the tiniest part of it. You know, if you want to connect in your relationship, it's really not about trying to be right and sharing your opinions. So really, there's only three. So then the question comes up, well, what do you actually are honest about? There's a million things in our field of awareness. What do you be honest about? We just say there's only three things I can ever be honest to you about, Carl. The only things I can basically say to you are, I can say all the sensations that are happening in my body. Like right now, I feel like my skin's a little dry. My stomach's pretty loose. I've got a little bit of spit in my mouth. It's real, just basic sensations. I have a little tension in my shoulder because I just did a workout, right? Um, if I was maybe a little angry at you, I'd probably feel tension in my stomach, heat in my face. My heart would be pounding, right? So that's the inside. Then you can share what's on the outside. I can share that like right now, me and Carl are actually looking at each other, even though it's just audio, <laughs> but I can actually see him and I see he has a beard and I see he's wearing a shirt. So all the stuff that I can see with a camera on the outside. And then the place that we mostly live is what Brad calls the upside down. And that's just our thought stream. And our thought stream includes everything that we basically most of the time think of as our experience. Worries, judgments, appreciation, all this kind of stuff. But we mostly live up there. So part of the radical honesty work is like, there's so much more to share. What happens when we broaden our awareness, especially in conflict, share all of that stuff? Can we get over things quick, quicker and better? John, that's amazing. Thank you for that uh, definition. And um, as somebody who's kind of a little bit up to speed on it, I just think that's really incredibly powerful. And I, I would completely agree with you that, you know, people think radical honesty is that drive by thing that you mentioned where you just dump your opinions on people and then run off and don't stick around. And one of the key distinctions I, I remember and really appreciate about what you guys do is stick around to clean up the mess, right? And that's where something really special can happen because then people can be more human and intimate and compassionate with each other, right? Yeah, I think I think like deep down, it's really um, increasing both. It's it's like two sides. There's one. There's the expressive side where honestly, it's about like, wow, how are you withholding? How are you keeping yourself from sharing? 
What are the ways that you do that specifically? And then we look to like, okay, see what happens when you share more as an experiment. And the other side is to develop the capacity to sit with people when they actually share what's going on with them. And that's really the two things. Like we want to develop the capacity for our nervous system to be able to be with people when they are angry. Somehow we have this thing in culture where generally growing up and all, whenever someone's angry at us, what they're trying to do is prove to us that we're wrong. Hmm. And they want us to buy into their story and prove that like, yep, we are wrong. We should be shamed, blah, blah, blah. But we try to kind of jump out of that model and just, I'm, I can share that I'm angry with you. But the, the kind of radical honesty approach is, and I'm not trying to change you. Yeah. So can we get over things? Can we share when we're angry without having to change the other person? And the interesting thing is you can. Yeah. You can actually totally share when you're angry with someone, get over it yourself, and have them not change anything about what they're doing. Fabulous. And it's a pretty incredible process. Just um, to, I'm, yeah. I'm sure I have some experience of it uh, from having my own um, attempts at doing that. Now, clearly it works for you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be sticking around and, and being the, the CEO of Radical Honesty Enterprises. But how did you discover it? And, and what are some of the results you, you've had with it yourself? Well, yeah, I mean, for me, it was mostly that um, I felt like a phony. I felt like I was just a pretending asshole. <laughs> Um, and I felt really disconnected from my life. Um, and, you know, my relationships with people felt kind of phony and fake, too, which had a lot to do with me. And also my relationship with my parents was really strained. I wasn't in close contact with them. And so basically, you know, throughout my 20s, I did all of these kind of um, self-help type practices. Right. And whether it was like circling or authentic relating or meditation or psychedelics, the whole like gamut of different things. I sort of just kind of went through them. And um, at a certain point, I was like, okay, I'm also going to do some psychotherapy. So I did a year of psychotherapy, which was great, right? It really like I had a great therapist and he really helped me to sort of recognize what was going on with myself. But then towards the end of that, I started to think, okay, well, this person has really helped me understand kind of conceptually and what's going on. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's not. I've felt through some things. I've had some release with this person, but I haven't had any release with any of the people where this stuff occurred. Hmm. And so I just said to him at the end, I said, okay, this has been great. I learned a lot. So now I'm just going to go home and tell my parents and my friends everything that I've said here. <laughs> right. And what did he, he, he say? Said, well, he said, well, I don't know if that's a good idea. And I said, well, I don't really care. And, uh, and that was, the, and that was the next process. So it was basically, you know, okay, rather than, um, learning something about myself and then kind of keeping it as a kind of condescending attitude I'd have towards others, right? Maybe you go home with your parents and you're like, deep down, you know that you're more aware, you know more than them. You kind of always keep it in your back pocket. I think it's what couples often do. They read a book about how to interact as a couple or friends or something like that, but they never share it with the other partner. So mm. they kind of come in loaded with all these concepts about the other partner. I think all that stuff's kind of kind of silly. It's, it's best read those things together and then share your judgments and interpretations about your partner. Oh, you seem to be this kind of person. You probably need this kind of interaction. But anyway, I went back and um, that was the biggest change for me. I went back and had these conversations with my parents and they were the hardest thing I've ever had to do. You know, I was shaking and I was so scared and nervous because a child confronting parents is basically you're breaking the taboo, which is children should always basically quote unquote respect parents. Yeah. 
And so basically we have a lot of people who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s who are still children. They're still walking around eggshells around their parents because they've never gone back and cleared up the past by saying, here's all the stuff that I'm mad at you for. And here's all the stuff that I appreciate you for. And it's going to be hard. And I hate doing this. And you're going to hate hearing it. And we're going to stick with each other for four, five, six times we need to come back and do this. And we'll get through it. And most likely we'll come in on the other end, knowing each other and being more connected. And it was really that process with my parents where we got over things and the transformation of forgiveness that happened. I mean, on the other side of radical honesty, part of it is just forgiveness. Hmm. We get better at getting over stuff. And it was such a huge change for me. And it was such a huge change I've seen in other people. Like when people go back and they really have clearing conversations with their primary caregivers, right? Whether they were parents or people who raised them, all of those patterns of the ways that you do you with other people down line get affected. Yeah. So you can start by just kind of clearing up things, little things with friends and all. But if you go back and hit those early people, that downline stuff, things change. And there was such a freeing and such a huge release that I was like, wow, this not would not have happened if I had just done, done the usual, you know, psychotherapeutic route. Amazing. Thank there had you. to be something Thank about you. being in contact with other people. There had to be something about that. It's not for everyone. But it can be helpful for a lot of people. Sure. Thank you so much, John, for that personal insight. That's really um, well. I'm I'm um, in awe and admiration of you doing that, and uh, I can see that um, that would be an incredibly powerful process. So, as um, as a community with um, radical honesty, this is people all over the world endeavouring to do this, uh, and presumably supporting each other in that process. How many of you are there around the world? And do you sort of proactively support each other? And does that get interesting and messy? Because not only are you the radical honesty community, you're presumably being in integrity by being radically honest with each other as an ongoing process of supporting each other. What's it like to be in your, in your gang? Yeah, it's a lot of fun and a pain in the ass and <laughs> all of that. And incredibly joyful and loving and also just like, oh, God, give it a rest. So it's, it's all that kind of stuff because, you know, the community is made up of people, we could say, who are at different um, levels of practice. And so you have, let's say, like our trainer community, people who actually teach this stuff. It's a pretty tight knit group. And, and we interact pretty regularly. And it is all over the world, although it's mostly in the United States, Canada and Europe. There is a growing group in Brazil and in South America. Um, and then there are some people in India uh, and some in Asia, Singapore, but that's kind of the, that's the main places right now, but really Europe and the U S are kind of the, the main hubs. And what right sort now. of numbers are we talking about? And, um, well, train, I mean, trainer wise right now, we have probably about 40 or so trainers and maybe 25 really active trainers. Um, and then people who, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to judge, right? Because we're doing workshops and things like that. And so the community is coming together in lots of different ways. People are connected, let's say on Facebook groups or, or in like um, email lists and things like that. So we have gatherings. So we've begun to have a gathering once a year called the Unconvention. It's our, it's our take on not trying to be too conventiony in our conventional unconvention. So, you know, they're really small pockets of people. But I don't know. I mean, the book has been a bestseller. We're going to have the 25th anniversary of the book next year. That thing keeps selling. 
So it's hard to say exactly, but definitely at this point in history, with the political climate and all, the interest in what it would be like to be more honest, not just in therapeutic circles, but more honest out loud in your everyday life, seems to be growing. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because really, I mean, I wasn't asking you from the point of view of like, prove how effective radical honesty is by the number of people doing it. Uh, that's not what yeah. I was, I was just interested really as, as a global phenomenon, because I want this thing to be, I just want it, I'd love it if it was kind of second nature, and it became part of human evolution, that we just took it for granted that we related to each other in that way. Um, but really, it's it's about two people often isn't it it doesn't that, that's that is the interaction it's between two people um who are choosing to relate to each other in this way or not and that's that i guess that is the slow work that will change us in our small local communities and possibly change us as a, as a global community as a species yeah i mean i think it is that slow kind of work i think the big picture is like getting the word out that there is a way of relating and dealing with conflict such that you don't have to be phony and lie. And that in fact, that kind of, um, that kind of diplomacy is often, often doesn't work. So our kind of foamy diplomacy, you know, Brad often says that diplomacy is often the cause of war. Mm. It's not the other way around. Diplomacy doesn't stop war. It's really the cause of it. Because basically everybody's coming in with an agenda and a lying manipulative agenda. So if you take that down to the personal level, Part of this work is really, you know, having the courage to say things like, you know, there's a couple say things like what's actually going on with you. But then also one of the things we play around with is sharing our pose, sharing what we're trying to kind of get over on the other person. And the idea with that is that actually deep down, when you lie and manipulate someone, even if you get what you want, in the end, you don't even really like what you get what you want because you knew that you got that from some kind of phoniness. Yeah. So the thing of actually letting it out and sharing like, wow, like right now, um, you know, if you're talking with someone, it's like, wow, right now I'm really concerned with how you think about me. I'm really trying to like show off with you. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the times we're together, we'll say things like that. We'll kind of just share our arrogance, share when we think we're the best, because in the end, these are all thoughts and they're all just made up. They're all just bullshit. The mind's sort of farting up. <laughs> um, so part of, the, part of a lot of the work we do is really getting people back to be in their actual experience, which is that if we mostly walk around in our thoughts, right, we just try to let those thoughts kind of head to the back a little bit. And what we tend to focus on is noticing, noticing what's going on in front of you and noticing all the sensations that are happening. So you might, you know, meet somebody, walk up, you're like, oh, wow, you've got hair. I like it. So there's a kind of simplicity in the language. It's a, it's a language that is focused on description a lot of the times. There's a real difference between language that's descriptive and language that's interpretive. Yeah. Most of the time we go around, we're telling stories, we're interpreting, we're judging. One of the things in radical honesty, we would just say like, oh, wow, I'm really trying to convince you of this story I'm telling you right now. Or, wow, like, I'm really mad at you for the way you just said that to me. And I really want to punish you. So part of that is the development of awareness. That's why, as, as I was kind of joking, like when trainers and all people have been in the community for a long time, we're all just keep growing and seeing different levels of our phoniness. Yeah. So things might be nice and joyous, and then all of a sudden something pops up, and it's like, oh, we got to clear that. But the benefit is that you do get better at clearing things more quickly. Because when you practice in this kind of way, 
when you share something, you're not, you're not necessarily trying to share it to convince the person anymore. You're just sharing it as a way to like, wow, this is what's coming up for me right now. And I'm sharing it with you. And we tend to get over things more quickly. Also, because in radical honesty communities, we've broken the taboo that you can't share anger. Yeah. Basically, most people wait until they're so mad and so justified that they have to just express it all at once and it becomes this big blowout. We kind of try to hit the anger as soon as it comes up. As soon as you feel that little trigger, it's like, boom, oh, I'm triggered right now. I'm mad at you for the way you just held your spoon. I mean, it's literally that stupid. We are that <laughs> petty and that ridiculous. And, and part of the thing of sharing those things is that we embarrass ourselves. Yeah. Part of the path to growth is embarrassing yourself with your words. So Brad has this great line. He's like, if you haven't embarrassed yourself with your words, you don't know shit from Shinola about transformation. It's the embarrassing part that really starts to have that ego sort of flare up and be like, oh, okay. And it's great. It's just great. It's a great process when people tell you that. There's a lot of intimacy that happens when someone either quote unquote tells you what they notice, right? Oh, wow, I noticed that you do that a lot. Oh, that feels embarrassing. Or you out yourself for something that that you've been doing that you notice about yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, like for me, I'm like a it's probably also why I'm like in this role. I'm like pretty big self promoter. So sort of underlying so many of my conversations are me like subtly trying to promote myself all the time. <laughs> so so it's probably not by chance that they told you to come talk with me. I have a sort of promotey kind of markety kind of sound I bet. well it's in the absolutely so, the right place john you've done a cracking job and i said i'd only keep you for about 20 minutes and i do appreciate you your sharing and talking about radical honesty and the radical honesty community um john rosania everybody um of the radical honesty enterprises ceo no less one final question can i just ask of you um this is communities for a world that works and some people, I think, will be inspired by what you've said and they will want to be like the innocent abroad walking back into their community, taking the gift of radical honesty with them. What's the best way for them to share that with their community um, in such a way that it would be most powerful? Well, I think probably the simplest way is um, because there's a lot of distinctions and all and it's a whole, it's a whole 180 degree turn in relating. Um, and the benefits are huge, but it does take some some practice and it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. So I'd say that probably just maybe having a conversation where you read the book together, mm. you take the book and have a little book club and you share that and say, hey, let's have a conversation about conversations. Let's have a conversation about how we have conversations. Do we think we have honest conversations? Do we think we need help in on honest conversations? Do we tend to run away? Do we feel like as a community, if you're talking directly, do we feel like a community that we feel like it's allowed for us to really share things that are difficult and have a conversation about conversations and then bring the Radical Honesty book and then reach out to us, RadicalHonesty.com and go there and check out. And we always have workshops and things. And we're starting to do things where we have workshops for community leaders. They can bring this back and they can help a, a group from imploding or exploding by being able to hang together and stick through with some of these skills. Fantastic. So. Fantastic. Well, wonderful work, John. Thank you so much and uh, good luck. All the best with it. Um, I think it's wonderful and I think it's a great gift to mankind. So thank you to you and to, to Brad and to everybody involved in the Radical Honesty community. If you ever wanted to 
um, like do other half hours where we got into actually like what it's like to do it or some yeah. examples or things like that. I'd love to. It's fun talking to you. It's I like, like your accent and <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I, I'm up for that. I'm up for that. Thanks for having me on.